So we're talking about Mother's Day, and I thought we could do a little message about Mother's Day, and we could pull from the Bible something deep about mothers, and I realized I did that last year, and I don't want to be a copycat, so we're going to do a different one. Uh, we're going to keep looking at, at where we are in Romans, but uh, today we're in Romans chapter 3, and the title of that chapter is God's Faithfulness. So I figured what better place could we talk about mothers than from the aspect of God's faithfulness to understand uh, who God is and how God relates himself to us through the role of the mother and what the mother does in the home. So before we open God's word today, would you join me in God, we ask that your spirit would speak to us here in this place right now. That as we consider your goodness to us, as we consider the blessings of our lives, God, maybe as we consider the hardships There's 
in every way. First of all, those have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Would their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. As a matter of fact, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written. This comes from Psalm chapter 116. It says, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what should we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm going to use a human argument for this. Certainly not. For if that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, then why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is therefore deserved. So you remember last week when I told you that some of the people in the Roman church thought that because of grace and because grace was all founded on God's goodness and God's love for us, that it was necessary in order to live into their sin so that they might receive more of those blessings. As a matter of fact, some of them had the mentality, well, if God gives grace even more to those who need it, then we should just have a big old sin party so that we can all grace. Do you see the mentality behind that? If we read throughout Scripture and we hear through the words of Jesus that God gives grace as is necessary, well, then you, you, you can understand the argument, well, then, you know, the more sin that is necessary, the more grace is going to be given because God wants to give grace to those who need it. So why do we do what we can to earn the most grace? It's not a totally bad argument. You know, do you remember when you were young and you hurt yourself and mom would come and clean up the boo-boos and she would make you pick up cookies or something to feel better afterwards? The bigger the boo-boo, usually the more cookies and the more loving you got, you know what I'm talking about? Did it, was anybody on the opposite of that? Wow. Like, you got, <laughs> you got hurt and it's either shake it off or what? Well, hope you're satisfied. I heard that more. I'll never remember my mom making It was always, well, that's what you get. Or I bet you won't do that again, will you? Or well, maybe next time you listen, you won't be stitched. Anybody read that one? Did I ever tell you that story about the hammer? So one summer, I was out doing what little redneck boys do. Uh, you know, no shoes, no shirt. Didn't work at the gas station, didn't work at all the And I had a hammer and I was hitting a piece of concrete at the corner of the house. Little did I know that was to keep the, the rainwater from washing out the house and the house falling down the hill. Um, so I was just hitting it trying to break it off from school. And I came up one time and the hammer had come again with me and stuck in my head. And so I walked up in the house and I'm like, Mom! And she was on the phone and she did what good mothers do. Called the ER, and the ER's like, well, part of his eyes okay. I get it. Well, he doesn't have a concussion. He's probably fine. So mom, you know, pulls the hammer out of my head. I get a cold drag, and that was it. I didn't get any cookies. <laughs> I didn't get any poor baby. You must feel so awful. It was a, will you be a dummy? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know how hammers worked. I didn't know about physics, all that stuff. But anyway, I tell you that entire story to tell you that it has absolutely nothing to do with school. <laughs> But God is not the same way in the way that he deals with us. We will get to deal with the consequences of our decisions sometimes in this life. We will deal with the things that happen as a result of. And the argument that Paul is wanting to make to the church here 
It's not that God lets you suffer the consequences of whatever your choices are. Because you do sometimes. And we can acknowledge that. But what Paul wants the believers to understand, understand he's not just spouting this out to the world. He's spouting this out to people that have claimed a relationship with Christ and claim to live as godly people. What he is saying is that God has given you grace. And if you understand the grace that God has given, then there is something that is to be expected of the way that you respond, the way that you live. Remember, Paul's whole message is that we live differently under grace than we did before we knew grace. And so he begins to address their argument then, if we are not able to have the same fun and the same things that people without grace are, so what then would be the point of being considered one of God's people as a Jewish person who were set apart for God's uh, purposes, or one of those who have been marked through circumcision? Now, remember, we've talked about circumcision of the heart, where John Wesley said that people of God, people of faith, will actually take God's law and establish it for themselves in order that they might understand the deeper things of God. So Paul says very first and foremost, that the biggest advantage to being marked as God and to be set apart for the purposes of God is that we are enlightened to the things of God's Word. You ever read something in Scripture that made absolutely no sense to you? But the more you discuss it with people, the further you read before and after it began to make sense. Do you remember in that book of Proverbs there where uh, the author is talking about the wisdom of God is foolishness to man and the wisdom of man is foolishness in the eyes of God? So Paul is reminding these people who are believers that the very first thing that results from us being set apart for God's purposes is we are enlightened to understanding God's Word. We understand why God allows things to happen. We understand why God works in certain ways. That's very helpful when things are going on in life and we don't feel like God is doing anything. Then we're reminded of the perspective that yes, we're seeing things in the light of our time and our days now, but God is seeing everything through light of eternity. So Paul says to be set apart for God, first and foremost, we've been entrusted to understanding the Word of God, but then also to be able to speak the Word of God. That's not a small thing. If we believe that God spoke creation into existence, if we believe that God ordered time, if we believe that God set everything that we know about in motion, if we believe that God was the author of everything and every part of human history, then for God to entrust us with His Word, to be able to teach, to be able to talk about Him, to be able to tell others about Him, that is a huge thing, isn't it? And you would think for people in a society like Rome, this new faith that is living counterculture to everything that is going on. That's a good bit of encouragement. If you knew that God was giving you the authority to go out and to hear His Word. So then in verse 3, he says, so what if some did not have faith? What about those people that don't have faith? Would their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Uh, so people were saying, well, if you don't know God, then God's not going to have anything for you. Does that make any sense? About what we know about God. The idea of provenient grace that God is working in the lives of people before they realize it, before they recognize it. There was the argument that some of these people in the church were having that God only takes care of his own and God doesn't really worry about those. 
And so their message of the gospel was, well, if you want to experience the goodness of God, you need to give your life to Jesus. When the reality of the gospel message is that Jesus is here, why don't you take hold of what is available to you? You see the difference there? I always like the example of the man crawling through the desert. And the argument against Christianity is, well, I can never serve a God that if I was crawling through the desert and found a person going, well, if you believe in me, you can have this bottle of water. If you'll just do what I say, you can have this water. That's not what it is at all. It's Jesus going, here, take the water. I got water. Just reach out and grab it. Have it. So Paul's addressing that understanding of preaching the gospel that God does not care about people of faith. But he says, not at all. Let God be true in every man who says these things be a liar. And he says, let it be this way so that you would be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. If you read the entire story of God and human history the Bible, then what you will see is that it is God standing before people saying, here it is. Have it. This is before you. Would you take it? Would you experience it now? And it's up to that person to respond. It's not Jesus going, you can't have this unless you get this. And that is very important for us to understand it. It's critical for us to understand if we are going to be people who live lives of faith. Because one, we're going to see it as a total format between us and God. If we're going to get a little bit of God, we've got to give him something. If we're going to want God to do something, we're going to have to give him a little bit of it. But God is saying, no, it's here. Everything I have is for you. We've talked about the power of God before. We've talked about the presence of God before. It is here, it is present, it is up to us to live into it. It is up to us to take it. That's what Paul is saying when he says those of faith have been circumcised in the heart. They have established it for themselves because they understand what God has laid out before them. Kind of like a mother's love. Am I right? Anybody here ever have a mom that only loved you if you did things for them? If you did, I'm sorry. That's not God's idea of, of a mother. But God's idea of a point thing is not. <laughs> but God's idea and the way that God shows his character through the form of a mother is that there's no love for a child like a mother. No matter what that child can do, that mother is going to do. That mother's going to do everything that she can for the sake of her child. And that is what Paul is trying to get the listener of his letter to understand about God's faith. That God's faithfulness to us is not dependent on our abilities to get right. Anybody in here ever felt ashamed after they did something or said something and you kind of feel like God was maybe mad at you or God was looking down on you and you had to earn your good graces with him again? What if I told you that's not the case? That God doesn't love you any less because you mess up. But Paul says, let's not take that because you can also get on the other side where you think, well, God's always going to love me no matter what happens. So therefore, there's that. Let's do all that we can do so we can get all God that we can get. So Paul says to be careful now. Be careful that you don't assume grace so much that you let it push you further away. That sounds, it sounds weird to say that, right? I guess that's what he said. That grace will push us away from God. But he's saying, don't misunderstand God's faithfulness to the point where you think it justifies 
opposite of the way that God tells us to live. Listen to these verses. Verse 5. If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, then what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using this human argument. Let's frame it this way. You're there with your brother or sister, and you're like, you remember how when we get hurt? Mom always loves us, and she always makes cookies for us, and she always lets us watch our show that we want to watch. You know that tree house that we even wanted to build that she told us not to build because if we fall out of it, we get hurt real bad? Let's go ahead and build it between two trees and we'll get this rope that will hop tight between two trees. Because if we get hurt, she's just going to love us. Sometimes that's how we see a relationship with God. Well, God loves me. God is full of grace. God is full of forgiveness. God wants to have a relationship with me. But I really want to do this over here. Now, I know that God says don't do that in the Word. But I really feel strongly about it. So, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do it because I know God's got my life. Well, if you fall out of that tree, Mom's still going to love you. Mom's still going to take care of you. But you still won't have a broken arm. You see what I'm saying? And it's the same with our sin. If we assume God's grace and we assume God's love and we take it for granted, and we say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this because it's okay, because God's going to take care of God's love is okay, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. God's still going to love you. You're still going to be okay. You're still going to be great. But you're going to have a whole lot of hurt in the mix. Life is going to be a lot harder. Sometimes we make decisions in life based off what we want, based off what we feel strongly about. Even though the Bible says, hey, your emotions can be misleading. The heart is the most deceitful thing that we have. And we think, well, maybe if I just say this to this person, I'll be well. What does it say about the tongue? It says it's the most dangerous thing in our body, isn't it? So God lays out things for us in his word in order to keep us safe, in order to keep us close to his presence, in order to keep the influence of the things that are not of God away from us. Just like a mom. Anybody in here when you grew up and, and you became a parent, you're like, man, I'm right. Anybody? And then when you get to parent and you find yourself telling your child something, like, oh, oh, I said I wasn't going to do that. But then you understand it and you realize why your mom told you that, so you're okay with I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel bad when I tell my children they can't do things that I remember my parents telling me. I find it that. I enjoy that. Because I know they're squirming and I know they're, they're dying that I told them this. But I know that A, it's good for them. But B, I also like to watch them squirm. I'm going to be honest. I enjoy that. That's my life as a parent. So Paul says this. He said, How would it be so that God could judge the world if he says, My falsehood enhances God's faithfulness? And so increases his glory. Then why am I still condemned as a sinner? Remember, God said he is going to judge the things that he did not intend for his creation. God is still going to judge the things that he did not hold for the people that are called his own. So Paul wants to remind the Christian believer, the person who claims to have been born again from faith, to remember that that free grace is not the invitation to a free-for-all or whatever we want. It's not the fire insurance understanding of faith. We talk about that term a lot, where you think you've got to take care of eternity, so it doesn't matter 
Paul's saying, be careful that that is not your understanding of what it means to be born again, to have new life, to be circumcised within your heart. Because there's a misunderstanding that God will not still judge the things that are not that He had intended for us. So he says, why not say as we were being slandered and reported and saying as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. Remember, these are people that knew about God. They knew about faith. They knew understanding. And so he's wanting them to hear these words. That if we claim to be born again, if we claim to be people of God, and as the, these people here, if we try to use that as a place of authority, a place of arrogance, let's be careful that we're doing so with the right perspective. When we regard our mother's uh, lessons to us, our mother's advice, our mother's um, orders, I don't know, commandments, I don't know, what, what do you want Wisdom. Wisdom. When we consider our mother's wisdom, let's not use it. Let's not use it out of the context in which it was created. And so my challenge for you is this, as Christian believers, we all know that we would understand that you invite us to faith 
to limit us, not to hate us, not to corral us, but God to set us free. To set us free from sin, to set us free from consequences of the things that you did not intend for us. To help us experience the grace and the love and the blessing that you created each one of us for, the community of one another and the community of God, help us not to embrace those desires of our heart that are not of you. Help us not to embrace worldliness with grace as our backup insurance. But God, let grace be our priority. Let it be our desire. Let it be the message by which we live our lives. That we can truly live as born again believers. Trusting in Jesus Christ. Knowing that you see us before we are here. And you see us for all eternity. Praise you for the Son Jesus. Thank you.